yeah, we started talking. I started talking to a lot of different vets, especially veterans that had had moved into fly fishing. And we started talking to a guy who was actually at in Montana. We were on a scout and he started telling a story. He said, oh, you know, I got injured and then I was I was about to go back in. He was working on the physical. He saw everything as a physical recovery. And he's like, but what I couldn't see and yet everyone else could see was that the mental recovery was not happening and it wasn't there. And when he started telling us that, I said, oh, well, that's that's the story because if culture believes that fly fishing will get him back to Afghanistan and back into the military, he'll do it. Hello, and welcome back to The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America. In this episode... The Art of Fly Fishing Becomes a Path to Healing, in director Joshua Caldwell's drama, Mending the Line. The film tells the story of Coulter, a Marine who returns to a VA hospital in Montana after being wounded in Afghanistan. There, he meets a Vietnam vet who teaches him fly fishing as a means of coming to terms with his physical and emotional trauma. In addition to Mending the Line, Caldwell's other directorial credits include the feature films Infamous, and Level 26, Dark Revelations, the miniseries Welcome to Sanditon, and episodes of South Beach and Release. Following a screening of the film at the DGA Theater in Los Angeles, Caldwell spoke with director Brian Woods about filming Mending the Line. Listen on for their spoiler-filled conversation. Well, Josh... Congratulations on such a beautiful, beautiful movie um, in a vast landscape of gigantic theatrical uh, comic book films that are very VFX heavy. I found your movie to be a very refreshing breath of uh, a breath of fresh air. It was so it was so um, sweet and sincere. I thought that the movie was incredibly patient. Um, and I, and I really just, um, I loved it. I thought it was a movie that, uh, made big moments out of small moments. So I want to know how did it come together? What was the initial, initial impetus for this project? Yeah. You can keep going. The rest <laughs> of the, um, my, so it, it started with the, our writer, Stephen Camilio, and, um, he was a magazine writer for a long time, fly fisherman, wrote for Field and Stream and all these kinds of publications. And um, his father was a Vietnam veteran. And about, I don't know the exact date, in the late aughts, um, his father passed away um, due to cancer from uh, Agent Orange exposure, Agent Orange exposure uh, during Vietnam. And um, he kind of found himself fishing through his grief and found it to be incredibly helpful and therapeutic and started kind of coming up with the story. And then he found that there were um, organizations out there like Wars in Quiet Waters, Project Healing Waters that were actually doing this. They were working with veterans and taking them fly fishing. And um, so he wrote the script and spent a number of years trying to get it made. And then uh, connected with the producer and uh, she started calling around to everybody that had made a movie in Montana in order to like kind of get a lay of the land and how do you do it? And she called my manager. My manager produced a movie called uh, Population Zero, which took place in Montana, but as he told her, did not shoot in Montana. And uh, but he asked like every like any good manager should. He said, well, what's the movie? 
And she told him and he said, well, does he, have, do you have a director? And she said, no. And he said, can I send it to this director? Cause he knew that I was, a, I'm a fly fisherman. Right. He's a fly fisherman. Thought I would really respond to it. He sent it to me. I read it. I loved it. And I knew that it was something that I really, really wanted to do. And when you raised your hand, did you um, have to put together a presentation or a pit? Like what, what did it take to, to yeah, I mean, it wasn't like I was competing with other directors. I, I, um, I read the script and kind of first in the door, so to speak. And, um, I just put together a, a pitch sort of over zoom that kind of talked about less about, I mean, I did a mood reel, um, which I tend to do for every, every movie I do. I tend to not to do the, um, you know, like the boards or anything like that, but I like to do the mood reels. And, um, but I kind of pitched and the reason I think that they responded well was one that I, I could, I could talk very effusively about fly fishing. Um, you know, and, and how I see it and how I see it being portrayed. Um, but also I had been doing a lot of research for other projects that never got off the ground around PTSD and soldiers returning from war. And so I had all of this sort of knowledge and research that didn't have a home. And so I could also speak to that. And so in a, in a crazy way, cause I remember when I, I told my DP about it and, um, and she was like, did you write, did you not write this? I, I had nothing to do with coming <laughs> up with this, even though it sounds like exactly the type right. of movie that I would come up with, um, simply because of that stuff and the fly fishing and all that kind of stuff. I think that's so important. I mean, this, this film, one of the magical things I think movies can do is illuminate a part of the world or a culture that you might not have any experience with, or the audience rather might not have any experience with. For me, I'm not a fisher. So watching this movie, I felt like I was like brought in. I felt like the characters experiencing, um, fly fishing and, and the, the kind of poetry that comes with it. And I was just curious, it does seem like such a personal film because you have a passion for fishing, um, and a lot of the other, um, elements that surround this film is, is finding personal material, uh, something that's important for you when, when choosing a project? I think it, um, for me at least, as I, I'm sure it is for a lot of directors, trying to find something in it to connect to, you know, um, something about it that makes it either interesting. It doesn't have to be something I've experienced, but something that just makes it really interesting. One of the interesting things about this one was even though so much of it was the fly fishing, one of the aspects of the film that I was so drawn to when I read the script was the relationship between Lucy and her, um, and Mrs. Red Cloud. Like I found that aspect of the script to be so beautifully written and so, um, heartbreaking. Um, you know, I remember that being a real standout, you know, even though, and I think that that's something that we tried to, that's why that storyline is in there is like, you know, so many people, um, even, even active duty military, like a very, very small percentage of them will ever experience combat, but everyone experiences loss. It's, you know, everyone will experience loss in their life. And so, trauma is not reserved for explosions and gunfights and all that kind of stuff. It's sometimes the, the simplest things and it's stuff that sticks with you and you can't escape from. And I think that that's where, um, you know, that, that's certainly what that storyline represents in this film. But, um, that's, that's actually one of the aspects that I really connected to. That's amazing. And I want, I want to talk about your, your cast and, Sanqua and, and Brian Cox in a moment, but were there, um, did you activate any actual like veterans in the, in the film or wh whether it's, uh, whether it's the actors or even just consultation throughout filming and. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, for me, one of the really cool things about being a director, I feel is, um, cause I 
didn't do this in college. In college, you're learning all these topics, you have no interest in them and you're bored and whatever. But the second movie making comes into the picture, it's like, I'm all in. Like, give me every book you can give, um, give me every person you can talk to. And so in this particular, yeah, we started talking, I started talking to a lot of different vets. Um, some I reached out to on my own, especially especially veterans that had, had moved into fly fishing because I was really curious about that transition and that journey for them. Um, and some I, I connected with on my own and others, um, you know, we were connected to through Warriors of Quiet Waters, which is the organization that appears at the end of the film. Um, and uh, they help post 9-11 combat veterans find peace on the water. And so that became a very um, important part, so much so that much of the script, a big part of Coulter's journey was actually rewritten based on uh, feedback we got from these guys. Oh, wow. um, and so in the original script, as an example, in the original script, Coulter was out. He had been discharged. He was done. And he was in Montana as kind of like a halfway house situation. And we couldn't, within the context of filmmaking and the storytelling, we couldn't figure out why would he go fly fishing? Like, who like why would he do that at this point? Um, and we started talking to a guy who was actually at, in Montana. We were on a scout. We were meeting uh, with some vets and he started telling his story. And he said, Oh, you know, I got injured. And then I was, I was about to go back in. And I said, well, hang on a second. Like you, you can go back in. He said, yeah. He's like, there is a whole process called a warrior transition unit. And when you're injured, you kind of go into this unit and it, and it exists kind of as a active, you know, military unit. Right. And you're given these tests and these evaluations. And he's like, the thing is for him, what he realized was he was working on the physical. He saw everything as a physical recovery. And he's like, but what I couldn't see and yet everyone else could see was that the mental recovery was not happening and it wasn't there. And when he started telling us that, I said, oh, well, that's, that's the story. Because if Coulter believes that fly fishing will get him back Right. to Afghanistan and back into the military, he'll do it. Right. And then that provides the window by which healing can occur. And so beautiful. it's things like that. Brian's line, which um, people really gravitate towards about how, you know, uh, in the book of every soldier's life, yeah. um, you know, the military's a chapter. That was something told to me by a Marine who said it was told to him by a Vietnam vet on the oh, banks wow. of a river. And when you hear that kind of stuff, that real life stuff, especially a subject like this, it's like it, it, it has the ring of truth to it. Like that was a line that I wrote down in my notes as well. It resonated with me as well. Um, having the ring of truth from from your research. That's so amazing. How did you um, how did you approach the cast on this film, um, both in terms of like creatively picking um, Brian and Senqua, but like also like how did you how did you get them to be involved in the movie? It looked like they had executive producer credits. I didn't know if that's like th this is a personal project for them as well. What, what's the history? I mean, I think. Um, you know, that's something that's happening a little more often now. It's a little easier way to get sure. them more invested in sure. the film rather than just, especially with indie films. Um, I think it was, it was a big, you know, I really loved working with our casting director, Neely Eisenstein on this. She was so great about really whittling down, you know, people that were realistic, right? Because when you're, as, as I'm sure you know, you know, when you're doing like an indie film, you're not going to just say anybody, you know, you got to figure out who works, like who's actually viable, who's going to do it. You know, right. what, what, what's their offer really going to be realistically. Um, and, and she was the one who, um, suggested Brian and I was like, you think, can we get him? Like, <laughs> really, you know, and, and especially knowing him for so much of his character work in feature films, yeah. you know, I mean, obviously succession, but, um, you know, and, and we, we made the offer and he read the script and he immediately wanted to do it. I mean, oh, I wow. think that like Brian doesn't often do movies at this level. Um, 
And, but what he told me was he was just, again, really taken by the script and, and the, the storyline that was being told and the character really responded to. Um, same with Sinqua. Sinqua was like somebody that was suggested to us, I believe, by his agency because him and Brian were at the same gotcha, agency at right, the time. Right, right. And I was less familiar with them. But again, once I really love watching actors work and sort of, especially ones I haven't heard of, um, I, or I'm less familiar with. And, um, and just getting that sense of whether they can work in Sinquan, I did a, um, a zoom and I just sort of felt after that, like he really had it. Were you just asking him questions about his, were you asking questions about process? Were you talking about the material? How, just, did, how did you grab that sense? Uh, for me, it's often just kind of having a conversation about whatever, you know, kind sure. of getting to know each other. Yeah. And I, I find through that, you know, because I, I, what I love is that I feel like you're at a level now where like, the work they're going to do the work, right? They're all professionals. Sure. They're all, you know, they could, they can act like they can, they can perform. And, and really to me, it's about like, do they feel like they can embody this character? You know, um, I know they can act the character, but can they embody this character? And are they going to do some of the work that needs to be done? Right. Like in this case, this is not a movie you can just go make, right. You got to have fly casting instructors. You, it's a whole thing to try and get it look, to look accurate on screen. Um, and, uh, you know, and so I find that just kind of talking to them, you get to understand who they are, where they're from, what their, what their likes are, what their dislikes are. And I find that that gives me a sense of, are, is this somebody that I can work with? That's awesome. I really enjoyed, like Brian Cox has like a kind of a great arc with his performance. I feel like we first meet him and he's kind of like muttering and hardly has any dialogue and he's kind of very closed off. And then by the end of the movie, he's giving these like beautiful monologues. Shakespearean. <laughs> exactly monologue. right. And he's just, um, you know, he's, he's one of our finest actors. He's, I feel like a, one of the great actors who's at the top of his game. Was it terrifying to direct him? Because I would be, um, I would maybe bring him coffee, but I think I'd be afraid to to give him a, a piece of direction. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, and, th and then I made it worse because then all I, I watched a, like succession, two <laughs> right, seasons right. of it straight through before we started shooting. And you do think like, how much is this Logan Roy? And obviously he's not, <laughs> but there is a, a sense of this guy's been around, man. I mean, he's played a lot. He's worked with some big directors. Um, and you always wonder. And I think, um, to me though, he was, and I'm, I was quoted in an article recently, but he's a real sweetheart. I mean, the nicest guy, like, because what's, what's interesting about Brian is like, he's, he's still a character actor, mm. right? He's a character actor right. at heart. This is what he's been. And so he's, he's there in service of the story. And, um, you know, he hasn't been sort of the star long enough to have it go to his head, so to speak. So he really, you know, he showed up, he was in Montana, he's laying in, you know, half laying in water, you know, he's learning to cast a bamboo fly rod, which is not easy. Um, you Wait, know, had he, was he a fish? He had never fished before. You're kidding. No. Yeah. He had, um, oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. He did a little research on his own going when he had to, you know, he was fished in, um, Scotland when he was there prior to making the movie. And then we had a, um, a representative from, uh, uh, stage fly rods who like went out and spent a couple of days with them teaching him how to, how to cast. And so, you know, look, I mean, you bounce from movie to movie and you work a lot and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, now you got to learn this new skill, but he, he really gave himself to all the, all the cast did. Um, you know, e even like with Perry, you know, she, um, 
learned to cat, you know, she'd been learning on, but she kept like on weekends, she was like, can we go fishing? Like, let's go fishing. <laughs> so I remember her, me and Simon, who was the sage rep, like we went up into Yellowstone park on a weekday, a weekend on one of our days off and fished. And, and so people really kind of got into it. Did you shoot uh, all of it in Montana? Or so the, all of, yes, except for the opening, the opening was all shot. Right. So the other really cool thing about this movie was we got to partner with the U S Marine Corps. And the Department of Defense. Oh, and wow. so in the same way that like, you know, Top Gun works with the Navy, we got to work with the Marines. So as part of that, they allowed us to come shoot um, at Camp uh, Pendleton. And uh, they provided the set location. They have this oh, wow. immersive village. And obviously there are like sets around, right? Um, Blue Sky, I think, Ranch and things like that. But that's at a cost, right? The great thing about the Marines was they basically gave it to us wow. like for free. So they gave us all the vehicles. Ton, a bunch of like a squad of Marines to help out. They gave us um, technical advice. They gave us like the set and the, all that we got free of charge. And oh, so, amazing. Um, you know, that for a movie like this, at this, you know, at a fairly small budget level, independent budget, um, the authenticity that you get from that is incredible. And then, and then the remaining of it, or then the rest of the movie we shot in Montana on location. Yeah, it's such a it's such a um, beautiful film, and and being on location, I mean, it it, it really um, it shows. You don't have to do a lot, you know. Yeah, you just right, put right. your actors so in front of the, you know. And the interesting thing, though, is is aesthetically, um, you know, Eve Cohen, my DP, and I had a lot of conversations because um, I enjoy finding I enjoy telling movies through a subjective lens, um, and one of the things I really wanted to do was take the audience. I wanted the audience's uh, journey watching the film to mirror Coulter's journey and to try and find a way to do that aesthetically. And so, um, you know, one of the things we talked about and one of the things you may or may not have noticed, but the first half of the film is a very claustrophobic movie. Um, you, you know, the first time we see Livingston, other than that first shot when we see Ike, right? But Ike's living in Montana, so he gets the beauty of it. After that, um, like the first time we see Livingston is we're shooting out of a van's window, right? right? And you're only catching part of it. Um, when Coulter's walking to Ike's house, he's looking down at the ground, you know, he doesn't see the mountains around right, him. And right. so, um, obviously that's dangerous because you're in this gorgeous place, um, and you want to showcase it. But I felt that it's, it was not until Coulter got to the river about midway through the movie that the movie should open up. Mm. And sort of after that, the back half of the movie is much more open. We have a lot more of the drone work and, and we really kind of tried to expand the scope of the film. Um, but it wasn't until Coulter could see it, see Montana, that the audience was really allowed to see Montana. So it's, it's a little dangerous to do that. Right. But if you commit to it, um, I think that it works on a sort of subconscious level. It's it's such a great choice for this movie. Um, do, do you uh, when you work with your DP? Are you are you storyboarding? Are you? I know like at times the, the film has uh, almost an improvisational feel that you really put us kind of there. Is that created, curated, thought about, talked about? Like bring us into your conversations uh, when, when yeah. planning the movie and then when shooting. Um, she would love it if I planned it down to the last detail, but. Um, <laughs> No, I mean, I think I, I, I enjoy, you know, a, a sense of looseness. Um, so we don't storyboard, uh, cause I often tend to think of, um, scenes as long, more than just shots, right? I tend to think of them as, as shots that might be moving in or, you know, movement, um, especially if it's handheld. 
So I just find that for me, storyboarding is not conducive, although it would probably help the rest of the crew. Um, we shot list. I have a method of shot listing that she then interprets for the rest and of the crew. And are you shot listing the night before or well in advance? No, well, or? I do it well in advance. Yeah, yeah. Um, I try to do it. Um, I, I prefer to do the first couple drafts of the shot list before we're even in prep because it's just, it's time to sit down with the movie sure. and really think about it. Um, and, uh, and so yeah, a piece we, that you didn't write, it's like, it's right. a, a process of rereading the script and refamiliarizing yourself with the story and getting inside. Yeah. Of it. Yeah. And, and letting things change, letting things adjust, you know, cause especially you come up with something, but you haven't scouted, you haven't gotten there. You haven't really started planning stuff out. Things are going to change. Um, but I think that like, what's great is with Eve and I is we've now done four features together and, um, or three features together. And so we have a, a very, you know, we have that dialogue that exists without really having sure. to say much. And so, um, she kind of knows what I'm going for and she does such a fantastic job of sort of allowing the flexibility and the freedom on set within reason, you know? Um, and this was a really challenging film to do because you've got, I mean, you know, and, and the other thing I should point out, uh, Charity, who is our first AD on this, who's here, um, you know, this was a challenging movie on an indie budget. I mean, you know, we've got water work, which is a tremendous amount of safety yeah. issues. We've got animals, um, you've you got know, some action, uh, yeah, action. You, and you've got even like with all the fishing stuff, that's like, you know, very, very like, um, that's like a shot by shot type of thing. Right. So you're just, um, you know, you're, you're, there's a lot to put together. Yeah. And then even the whole opening sequence with all the explosions and the gunfire and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, that's, it, it was a, it was a big challenge on this. Um, I heard that this is your first DGA feature. Can you talk a little bit about what that means or what that, uh, being a, being in the DGA and, and having a, a DGA backed crew with your, um, ADs and did that bring anything special to this project? Yeah. I mean, first of all, it's, it's such an honor to be here and talk on the stage because, um, you know, as a young filmmaker, you see other people that have been up on the stage, you've come to the Q and A's and it's, it's really, really cool. I had been pushing for years to, to try and get the films that I was directing to be DGA. And one of the challenges is that if you're not DGA, they're just, there's no incentive to do it for the right. producers. Um, but on this, this one, I came in and I, I kind of put my foot down and I just said, listen, like, for all the reasons I just described, right? We've got uh, water work, we've got safety issues, we've got animals, we've got a big, you know, gunfight sequence. Like we need somebody with experience. And it's not to say that there aren't like, you know, uh, AD teams that could do this, but they're just that are, that are not DGA, but they're just few and far between. And um, I just knew that in order to do this film right, to do it safely and to get it in the can on the shooting schedule we had, we needed somebody with experience. We needed a team with experience. Like I'm really happy I got to join as a result. It's a huge honor. I've wanted to be the DGA for a long time. And, and, you know, it's very, very exciting to me, but at the end of the day, for me, it was really about making sure that we had the right crew, you know, put it, you know, getting this movie going, uh, because I, I just, I can't really imagine what would have happened if, if we had people that just were not experienced as our first and seconds. Totally. That's, that's amazing. Um, Josh, you're somebody who I know, um, like myself, you're, you're very grateful. You consider it an honor to be able to, to make any movie that you get to make and, and to be in the DGA. And, um, and, and, and so I, I say this with that in mind that, that it's an honor to make movies. Um, and it's a joy and it's a dream. Um, but I also find every time I am lucky enough to direct a movie, it's also a, um, cascading series of the worst day of my life. Yeah. Um, <laughs> because there's just always, there's just 
always something that um, can and will go wrong. I'm curious on this particular project, was there a specific worst day of your life or was there a, a specific day that was just brutal? Whether that's it can be anything. A location falls through. It can yeah. be watching the the assembly for the first time. What was your worst day? Well, I didn't. Charity, didn't we have a bingo card? We're like, uh, didn't see that on the bingo card on this one. I mean, it was like, <laughs> uh, like you said, a cascading. Sure. I, really? What? Okay. So the worst part about making this movie, the most challenging aspect of making this movie was we're in Montana. And I'm there for, you know, weeks ahead of time. And we are in the middle. We shot this in 2021. We're in the middle of a drought. And, um, you know, on occasion we'd get thunderstorms rolling through in the evenings, but for the most part, it was super dry and we shot out, we had planned everything, you know, we had uh, 19 days in Montana and we had, yeah, it was a fast shoot. And we had, um, our first three days was all Lucy library stuff. And as we're wrapping up that week, the next week was all water. Like Mm -hmm. we were out doing all our fishing scenes and like everything that was outside. And I'm looking at the weather and it is telling us that it is a week straight of rain and not just like thunderstorms in the evening, like morning till night, just a deluge of rain coming through. And I go to the producers and I go to charity. And I'm like, listen, guys, like, you know, as a fisherman, like fishing in the rain can be really epic. Um, <laughs> but we have, we cannot have every fishing scene in this movie <laughs> be in the rain. And if we shoot next week, if we shoot all this stuff next week, um, Every fishing scene is going to be in the rain. Right, right. And I said, we got to figure out a way. We got to undo all the plans we made and we got to work around this weather. And to compound the problem, Brian was only available for two weeks. And one of those weeks was the fishing. Uh, And we didn't really have cover sets because again, (laughs) we're in the middle of a drought. So like, um, (laughs) why would we have expected rain in Montana in August? And, um, you know, we all got together and we started rescheduling stuff and, you know, um, trying to make it work. And, you know, there's a couple scenes I was like, listen, this stuff can stay, uh, you know, cloudy, rainy. It actually worked really great for the, um, uh, the suicide scene or the attempted suicide scene, because, you know, if that had been a bright sunny day, that was actually all shot during the day. And so it was day for night in the color. And if that had been a bright sunny day, I don't even know if we could have changed it to night. Right. Right. It just wouldn't work. Right. So some of that stuff, worked out, but, um, we had a pivot and, and the biggest thing is, as you know, like as soon as you pivot from that plan, like it's very hard to recover. And I think we just were going like, you know, we were just trying to keep that train going and do whatever we could to just maintain that. Um, you know, and, and the weather, the weather was the biggest problem. We had a cup, we had another day that got shut down because of lightning. Oh, wow. It was actually the end of the movie. We're supposed to be shooting the end of the movie. We're out at the, uh, at the ranch, um, out of nowhere, this like windstorm, lightning storm starts approaching charities, like counting down the minutes till the <laughs> lightning hit gets close to us. Uh, I think we had a camera or we had a, uh, 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 the camera rig that was up on a jib and like that got knocked over by the wind. It was like, I mean, a lot of things, uh, but all that being said, you know, I find for me, there's almost no place I'd rather be mm. than like trying to figure that out. Right. Like I find that I actually thrive in those kinds of environments because, you know, I enjoy the whole puzzle, putting together the puzzle nature of directing. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, it's stressful and it's crazy and, you know, but when you have a really great crew around you and you can sort of marshal everybody into, into making, you know, changes that need to be made, um, there's, there's great camaraderie and there's a great, 
you know, feeling of, um, uh, of, uh, collaboration coming out of that. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's like storytelling by way of problem solving. What, what an yeah, absurd, unfortunately, <laughs> what an absurd, you know, it'd be uh, great if you job. just have, I mean, I trust me, I'd love to have a hundred days and do two shots a day and just, you know, have all that time. But no, it's, it's a miracle what you guys did with this film and that, and that short of a timeline. It's, uh, it's, it, it's so, it's so impressive. Um, I was wondering, uh, what's your, can you take us briefly into your editorial process? Uh, the, the movie, the, the word that I, I keep saying when I think of this film is patient. I love its patience. Like, I think that's a, um, it's one of its main assets. And I'm just wondering, um, the, the film almost, it moves in a way that, uh, <laughs> reminds me of fishing, which is like being patient and then, and then delivering big rewards that, that are meaningful. And th- th- was that a part of your thought process? And, 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 and in particular, there's a scene where, uh, I think we mentioned earlier, Brian Cox has this like monologue and it, it feels deliberate that you like kind of like almost do this like one or that's like this yeah. camera's kind of approaching his face. Is that, are you just making those choices in the edit room? Or are you making those choices before you get there? Um, I mean, I, something like that, you're kind of setting it up to be used as a one I love one I did a lot of one in my last, in the last one, the opening of the movie, you know, the gunfights all, yeah. you know, it's not a real one but, um, it's made to look like a runner yeah, yeah. one But, um, in that case with Brian, you know, you're just, you sort of start feeling it out on the day. And I remember Eve, we had set up sort of a way to do the move as we kind of started in on the monologue. And I just remember thinking like, let's get this, let's make sure we got this so that I don't have to cut because I like, I like to try and do things and not cut if I don't have right. to. Um, and those are kind of thoughts that are being made on the day, um, you know, in particular with certain things, right? And then others, you just know there's going to be cuts. Um, and then a lot of it is, I, I again, looking at the film, you know, the way I shoot or the way I, what I'm trying to do, and then like working with my editor, Will, it's often about f- a putting together a puzzle, right? And And I find that like, it's about, trying to find those pieces that go together in the right way. And there's only really one way to do it. And it takes a lot of like playing with frames and adjusting. And tw- it's a lot of the little stuff that sure. I find. Um, but, you know, it's people have sort of said it. this movie feels like kind of floating down a river, you know, right, right, right. you've got the rapids and the yeah. craziness, and then you've got those sort of languid moments. And I think like, you know, uh, there's something nice about that. There's something nice about just having a movie that you can sort of just uh, sit back and just absorb as opposed to having to participate. <laughs> sure. Sure. sure, Right. Exactly. Um, how important are other, are you, when you're directing, are you watching other movies? Are you um, pulling inspiration from certain heroes and, and other films? Or are you, are you more pulling inspiration from real life? I, you know, um, I, I personally, I am trying to get away from trying to use others Mm. as inspiration. Um, still do it. You know, it's, it becomes shorthand for talking about a particular lighting setup or a particular way of moving the camera. Um, but I find that, that I kind of try to develop, you know, an approach, well, uh, certainly an aesthetic that speaks to me. Right. But is works sort of for the movie. But again, like I kind of always start from a subjective place, you know, and that's going to, that's going to lend itself to a particular way of 
shooting a particular way of lighting. I kind of know what I like, you know, and sometimes, yeah, we'll use, you know, I'll talk to Eve about these movie, this movie, we talked with this movie, this movie, we talked a lot about like, you know, Clint Eastwood's films and you know, the way he lights and sort which of, ones like his recent work or just we're looking at like million dollar baby yeah, and yeah. like okay. things like that. Um, Gran Torino, especially in terms of some of the darker stuff, you know, his, his willingness to just let it go black. Right. You know? Um, and, um, and things like that. So you kind of start looking at that, but I also don't, I'm not those filmmakers, sure. you know, and I am trying to think about how do I want to approach this as yeah. opposed to too much like inspiration slash, I, you know, I, I love that. I mean, it's something I'm thinking more and more about, like when we're in this, the age of AI and this idea of, um, you know, are all of our jobs on the line and like what right. makes us human and what makes something personal. And I love that you're approaching your work through that, uh, that personal lens. Um, maybe one final, um, question, Josh, uh, you and I, we've known each other for, I don't know how long, at least 10 years, 10 years, maybe more. 15, yeah, even might and, be more. Uh, Josh and I, uh, were, were filmmakers, uh, trying to break into the business together. And, um, when you're at that age, you meet a lot of different peers, a lot of filmmakers who are similar age and, and trying to break in and, and, um, who you support and you watch their work and you reach out to them, whether it's from film festivals or, or, or YouTube and, um, over the years, as I've gotten older, I've watched this, um, this, this community of what felt like a hundred filmmakers, um, whittle down into a, a small handful. And, and you're one of the, the, the few filmmakers that I know that's still doing it today. And so one, I wanted to congratulate you on, on still doing, um, really beautiful, amazing work after all these years. But I also wanted to know what is your secret? How do you stay inspired? It's a tough business. Everyone in this room knows how any job in the film business is, um, is, is very challenging and, and taxing. How do you stay inspired and, and, and how do you stay, uh, uh doing great work after all these years. I appreciate that. I mean, I'm still a young filmmaker. I'm still learning. I'm still, you know, gaining the experience from, from doing the movies and stuff. I think, um, you know, partly it's, it's a little bit of just like forcing it to happen, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and it's hard to pin it down exactly. With I mean, discipline now, like, yeah, the discipline of like, you know, I think the big part of it, you know, I've talked to my manager about this is like con consistently developing material. You know, it's like, I mean, not every script, you know, maybe out of 10 scripts or 10 ideas, like one is going to go to a script and out of 10 scripts, one is going to get to maybe get made. Um, I think I've, you know, with this in particular with this movie, it was just such a slog to push it through because, you know, it was made completely independently. Um, you know, it takes a long time to put that together. It's not a movie that on paper is like an instant, right. you know, sure. uh, success. And I think it's really just about the way I've kind of been describing it is a lot about pushing that boulder up the hill. Mm. And, um, you know, I kind of also subscribe to, you know, a very sort of stoic, philosophy, this idea of like, you know, the obstacle being the way, you know, and I think that too often uh, people see the obstacles as a reason to turn around, reason to like stop what they're doing. But um, what I found is often it's the, it's the obstacle is, is the path, you know, and if you can kind of do what you can to reframe that way of thinking and, and um, you know, what's in your control, what's not in your control, um, you know, what is in your control as a filmmaker? Well, if you're, if you're a director, it's developing material, it's writing it. If you're a writer, um, it's constantly pushing through and trying to get things going um, as opposed to sort of sitting back and, and hoping something comes across your desk. That may happen every now and then. That's what happened with this. Um, you know, I didn't come up with the idea. It came out of nowhere. 
But then once I got on it, it was about, again, pushing that boulder up the hill, constantly fighting those obstacles and, um, you know, just knowing that, uh, you know, it's worth it because there's really no other thing I'd want to be doing. Beautifully said. Thank you so much, Josh. I'm taking notes and, um, and thank you for this beautiful film and, and for your time today. I appreciate it. Thanks, Brian. And thanks everyone for coming. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to another DGA Q&A. The Director's Cut is available wherever you listen to podcasts. And please share, subscribe, rate, and review. We'd love to hear your feedback, and you can help fellow film buffs find the show. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America.